hearts, please, to the book of First John, the little letter of First John toward the very end of the Bible. First John chapter number five and verse number thirteen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I feel certain that everybody, certainly every Texan has Heard the old saying that you've got to strike while the iron is hot. Well, that's true regarding a lot of different things in life. I think every preacher knows that he has a limited time frame in which to drive home his point because you only have the people's attention for so long. It's kind of like the old saying, the mind can absorb only what the seed of the riches can endure. And so you know that, and you've got to make your point while you can. And uh, so this morning, I want to strike while the iron is hot, and some of you might have already guessed what I mean by that. We've just had several church members saved recently, and uh, as I look back over the 48 years in the ministry, I've seen this happen again and again and again. And uh, I want to take advantage of it because I know that if everything goes according as it normally does, why, after a while, we get back in that rut where we're not as attentive to the Word of God as we should be. And so I want to deal with the subject while people are listening. And let's face it, most people are not really interested in the subject of salvation, They are attracted by so many things in this world that you can't get them to sit still long enough and to stop playing their video games and to stop this and to stop that to listen to what is the most important thing in all of the world. But sometimes something happens that all of a sudden piques our interest in the subject of salvation. It might be be an illness. All of a sudden, you've been in good health, able to get out and to go and do all the things that you want to do, and then all of a sudden, you you get ill, and it might be that you even fear that you will die, and suddenly, you'll start listening. It might be a, a an accident. It might be a, the death of a loved one. It might be someone else getting saved. And that's what happened recently, because sometimes, you know... We're just shocked when somebody that we thought, without any doubt, we thought they were really saved, and all of a sudden they admit they're not saved and they receive Christ as their Savior. Now, that makes all of us happy, but at the same time it leaves a lot of folks confused. And that really shouldn't surprise us, because salvation is probably the most debated and confusing thing in all of the world. You take a survey asking different people, how do you get to heaven? And you'll hear all kinds of answers. I remember several years ago, Art Linkletter did that very thing, asked the 
people, uh, and of course he did the interviews with the little kids, but I think this had to do with adults. You know, how do you get to heaven? And they had all kinds of crazy, off-the-wall, unscriptural answers. And, you know, somebody said, be a good neighbor, and somebody else, you know, said, well, you got to keep the Ten Commandments. And one fellow said, up the golden stairs, whatever that means, you know, and and you know, that, that's the kind of response you get because people are confused about how you get to heaven. But there's no reason for that confusion because the Bible is perfectly clear in regards to how we're saved. You see, the real problem, at least with those that walk through the doors of this church, the real problem is not in whether or not you can understand the way to heaven. It's whether or not you're willing to receive the way to heaven. That's the real problem. It's not in whether or not you hear the truth, because whether you're in Sunday school or wherever you're at in this church, you're going to hear the truth about how to get to heaven. And and some of you have heard it over and over and over again. You've heard it, you know it, you can quote the Bible verses related to it, but you've still never exercised your own free will and trusted Christ as your Savior. And the reason, the reason is very simple. Because you've really never seen yourself as lost. You'll never be saved until you get there, folks. Until you realize that you are unsaved. You are lost. You are without God and without hope in this world. You'll never be saved. It's the preacher's job to take the Word of God and to help you to see your spiritual condition. So, this morning... I want to speak to you about some characteristics of a Christian, the marks of the new birth or uh, signs of salvation. This is the day of bumper sticker Christianity. People use buttons, they use jewelry, caps, uh, shirts, posters, all kinds of different things to advertise their religion, but all of that is superficial Because you can advertise and not have the goods. And I'm afraid that's what a lot of folks are doing. They've got a dusty old Bible laying on the coffee table, a cross around their neck, and a bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus, you know, on the car, and all of those things, and they don't know anything about the Lord. The key word in this little letter is the word know. In fact, it's used 38 times in this brief letter. Know. God wants you to know that you're saved. And you can, according to the Word of God. You can know beyond any shadow of a doubt. Many, listen, many have made professions of faith and gone on even for years, and yet they've never been saved. Kind of like those in Romans chapter number 8, or John chapter 8, rather, where the Lord, as He's conversing with them, remember He's been working miracles, and and uh, that got their attention. In fact, that's what they they were there for. They wanted to see a show. They wanted a performance. They wanted Him to entertain them, and so they're following Him around. And they admit, never spake a man like this man. We've never heard anybody like this. He stood up with boldness and spoke with authority, and they were amazed. And it says, and many of them believed on him. And then the Lord turns right around and speaks about the fact that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
And uh, he goes on down to verse 44, talking about those same people. And he says, And ye are of your father the devil, and the deeds of your father ye will do. The very same people that had just professed to believe on him, Jesus, knowing their heart, knowing their true condition, said, Ye are of your father the devil. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe he misjudged them. What are the chances of that? None. And if you don't believe it, you go down to verse number 59, and we're talking about exactly the same people. They took up stones to stone him. The same people that at one moment professed to know him are now ready to kill him. And we live in a day and an age where a lot of people know about him that do not really know him. In other words, there's no real evidence there's no vital signs. I said last week, I believe it was, that, that it, where there's life, there's going to be vital signs. If going home this afternoon, you notice a, a body laying at the side of the road, and you get out, and out of concern for the person, why, you go to the man or the woman, whoever it is, and you check the vital signs. There's no pulse, and not, not breathing, and, and you know, you go through all of the steps, and, and still you can't get any vital signs. At some point in time, you conclude that person's dead, right? Well, let me tell you, there are some vital signs to look for. Now, listen carefully. I understand that you cannot always tell whether a person is saved or not. I don't think any of us would have ever doubted Judas Iscariot. Nobody else doubted him. Nobody else, you know, thought to themselves, well, I'll bet he needs to get saved. I mean, here he is going about with the Lord and ministering, as it were, to other people. And so, so there's sometimes that you, you can't really tell whether a person is saved or not. But there are other times when you've had the occasion to observe their life for a long time and to carefully examine them, there are other instances where it becomes perfectly clear that those people are not saved. I know what somebody's thinking. They're saying, well, preacher, that's not your place. Remember, the Bible says, judge not. It's probably the most misused, misquoted, misunderstood verse in all of the Bible. Why don't you read the rest of that chapter and see that you're actually commanded to judge other people? When he says judge not, he's talking about don't judge them hypocritically, don't judge them without evidence, don't judge them unfairly, and so forth. But he gets down later on and he talks about those false teachers as by their fruits ye shall know them. In other words, there's going to be some evidence if they're false teachers or not. And I'm telling you, there's some evidences that some people have never been saved. Because there are vital signs or signs of salvation. And we see that here in John. And notice John explained the reason for his writing. These things have I written that what? That ye may know. Vital sign number one, look at chapter 5, the very beginning of chapter 5 and the first three verses. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him 
that begat loveth also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Well, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now look at chapter number 4 and verse number 19. We love him because he first loved us. The very first evidence that a person has been saved is that there will be an intense love for Christ. After all, Jesus said that the first and the great commandment is what? That we love God and Jesus is God. God in the flesh. That's the first and the great commandment, you see. And the question is, do you love Christ above all else? Let me tell you, if you do, there's going to be evidence to prove that. And I realize none of us love the Lord as much as we could or as much as we should, but if we love Him, there's going to be some evidence of that. And if there's no evidence that you truly love the Lord, no love, no life. You're lost. You can complain all you want about me judging you. But if you tell me that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, you're lost. If you tell me that you have no love, no, no affection for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're lost. Look, that's not me judging you. That's the Word of God judging you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So the first sign, the main sign above everything else is that if we are truly saved, there's going to be an intense love for Christ. And you can go through all of your life pretending that you love the Lord when you don't. Anybody can do that, even an unsaved person. You can sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but that doesn't mean that you really do. Because if you really do, there will be evidence of that fact. Now... Keeping the first commandment leads to the second. So look in chapter number 3 and verse number 14. Chapter 3 and verse number 14. Not only will there be an intense love for Christ, there will be an interest in others. He says in verse 14, we know. There's that word again. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know, John? Because we love the brethren, and he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now surely, I don't need to go on and read on down through verse number 19 and into chapter number 4, because he hammers this point home again and again and again, and over and over and over. But look at verse number 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And so John goes to great length here to let us know that if we truly have an intense love for Christ, if we're really saved, that we're going to have a genuine interest in other people. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. But the second is like unto the first, is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm telling you, there are professing Christians that go through their entire lifetime without really showing any real deep concern for other people. And if that describes you, these verses ought to scare you to death. 
They ought to open your eyes. They ought to wake you up because you need to get saved. Because when you love God, you're going to love His children. Love is manifested by good deeds and meeting needs. And we need to think about that in our relationship one to another. It's more than sentimental mush. It's manifested by our walk more than by our talk. A real genuine interest in other people. Do you have it or not? And I'm telling you, whether you admit it or not, it is apparent to a lot of people that know you. People that have the opportunity to observe your life and they see how you live, they see how you interact with other people, and it is so very apparent to them, you don't care about anybody but yourself. I said the other day, I think it was last week, about these churches that, you know, advertised, you know, come and visit with us and we'll treat you as family. And I said, oh, dear God, I hope not. Because... Because sometimes we treat our family like dirt. Sometimes we treat our family, you know, like the scum of the earth. I mean, we cheat, we lie, we do everything under the sun to take advantage of them and to use them. And we don't have any real genuine love for them. And they know it, and other people know it. And then we go on proud as a peacock talking about how wonderful it is to be a Christian. I'm telling you, if you're really saved, one of the vital evidences is that you'll have a genuine interest in other people, especially your family. But not only that, look in chapter number 2 now, and we see that, and by the way, speaking of having an interest in other people, I want you to notice the third evidence is an insatiable desire to see other people saved. Chapter 2 and verse number 22, he says... Chapter 2 and verse number 22. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same uh, hath not the Father, but he that have the, uh, the uh, that acknowledge the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which was heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, that ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. And He says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, that is, those that would mislead you, misguide you. And He goes on in verse number 28, And now, little children, abideth in him, and when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Notice, if you, if you know, he said, you're born of him. And the knowledge has to do with what? With righteousness. Now, what was the second in the great commandment? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And I ask you, I said that, that love for others is evidenced in what? Good deeds and meeting needs. What's the greatest need of your neighbor? What's the one thing they need more than anything else? What's the one thing that your, let's say, your family members need more than anything else? Well, it's Christ. It's Christ. In chapter 4 and verse number 15, he says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Notice, confessing that Jesus 
is the Son of God. I've often wondered why is it that we have to beg and plead with people to try to get them to witness to others. The hardest thing on the, on the face of the earth for Christians is to get them to talk about Jesus to other people. I'll never forget years ago, I had one of the church members to call, a mother, and she called and said, Brother Stone, my, my, my daughter wants to be saved, and would you come over and tell her how to be saved? Now, I tried to be as diplomatic and as kind as I possibly could, but I look, let me tell you, any time, day or night, I'd be glad to do what I can to help somebody better understand how a person is saved. But why in the world would you, as a Christian, need for somebody else to come and tell them how to be saved? I mean, listen, if you know how you got saved, then you know what it takes for them to get saved. And if it's one of your family members especially, why in the world wouldn't you want the privilege of leading them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is it that we don't have the same attitude that the early church did facing persecution? And, and, and the Bible says repeatedly that they continued to witness boldly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we have the attitude of Paul when he said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen after the flesh that they might be saved? Think about that. You know, to put it in modern day language, it's like Paul saying, you know, if it would help them to get saved, I'd be willing to just drop off into the bottomless pit of hell and suffer for them if that would help them to get saved. That's how much he cared. And you know, you've got to wonder why is it that so many don't care today? They don't care. I mean, you look at some Christian families, and, and it's very evident that there are some parents that they don't care whether their child is ever saved or not. How can that be? How can we not be concerned enough about others to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ? It ought to be as natural as breathing. The very moment that I got saved, the very first thought that was on my mind was for my mother and my daddy. Above all else, because I had lived with them all of my life, and I knew that there was no evidence of salvation whatsoever. And so I went over to talk to Mom, and she she swore up and down that she was saved, and you would have to know the details of, of the relationship she had with my daddy because she just about worshipped him, and she had back years before got him to go to the Pentecostal church where my grandmother went, and and uh, during the course of the invitation, someone went to him, embarrassed him. He swore he would never go back. Mom would never do anything by way. She wouldn't think about getting up and going off to church and leaving Dad there alone and, or letting him go off without breakfast and but Dad was honest about it, that he wasn't saved. And uh, always said, I'm just as good as those people down at the church. And as you've heard me say, he was. He's better than a lot of them down there, but he's still lost. It's not a matter of you being worse or you being better than somebody else. 
And, and immediately I started going on visitation. And, uh, boy, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, I just took, you know, some tracts and a Bible in my hand and went along with some, somebody else that knew what they were doing. And I tagged along until finally I went out myself and then I started preaching in a rescue mission. And I'd come back and talk to my pastor afterwards so discouraged. You know, I just keep going down there and I keep preaching. Nobody ever gets saved. Look, folks, I'm not, I'm not trying to set myself up as the perfect example. It's, it's not what I did. It's because God put a desire in my heart for other people to be saved. And if you don't have that, I'm sorry, but I've got some reason to doubt whether you're saved or not. How in the world could you know the glory of, of your, all of your sins forgiven and knowing you're going to heaven when you die and then turn around and not want to share that news with anybody else? Nothing about that makes any sense. And, and yet there are those that, that all of their Christian life, they've never ever led one soul to Christ. Never. Most of them have never even tried. They've never attempted. And I'm not here to embarrass you this morning. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But I'm telling you, there would be a lot of embarrassed people, probably, if I said, how many of you ever led somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? You ought to be able to raise your hand. And certainly, if I said, how many of you have really genuinely tried, made a sincere effort to win somebody to Christ? If you can't raise your hand, there's something wrong. You remember what the Lord said, if we do not confess Him before others, neither will He confess us before the Father? That's what witnessing is all about, folks, is confessing Christ before others. And one of the evidences that you're saved is not only are you going to love God, not only are you going to have an interest in other people, but there's going to be that insatiable desire in your heart to see other people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But it doesn't end there. There are more evidences. Not only that, but look in chapter number 2. Another evidence is that there will be an inward desire for holiness. Chapter 2 and verse number 15. And this is the negative side of it. Notice what he says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we see here that the believer does not love the world. Now that's not talk, look, that's not talking about the hills and the rivers and the creation that God made. And that's not talking about mankind in general. Certainly we're to love other people. That's not what he's getting at. It's this worldly system. The real Christian doesn't love this world. But notice in chapter four and verse number six, he listens Rather than listening to the world, he listens to the Word of God. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of, of air. Dead people don't have any appetite for the Word of God. I think I've preached to a lot of folks like that. They come to church, but it's evident that all during the sermon, it's evident, man, they're out there somewhere. 
I mean, they're spaced out. They're not tuned in. They have no real appetite for the Word of God. If you go out here to the cemetery and unbury a corpse and try to feed them the finest T-bone steak imaginable, they'll never eat it. They have no concern. They know nothing about it. Unsaved people have no appetite for the Word of God. But the saved person does. Why? Because of the fact that in the Word of God, they discover the will of God. And look in chapter 2 again, verse 3, the saved person obeys the will of God. Chapter 2, verse number 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him. Are you with me? We know that we know Him. There's no doubt about it. Somebody said, well, I don't think you can really know that you're saved or not. Well, what does that say? We know that we know Him if, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith, He abideth in Him, ought Himself also so to walk even as He walked. You see, the evidence is that we don't love the world, but we listen to the Word of God that reveals the will of God, and then we obey what we know to be the will of God. That's exactly what Jesus said over in John chapter number 14, where He makes it perfectly clear there, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments. And there are a lot of folks today claiming they love God, but they refuse to keep the commandments of the Lord. They refuse to fulfill the commission of the Lord. They refuse to cooperate with the will of God. They're living in rebellion against God. You see, the real evidence that you're saved is the fact that you're willing to do the will of God. And in chapter 5, he describes them as overcomers. Now listen, I want you to think about that. The believer is an overcomer. That does not mean he's perfect. But it means that he is not dominated by sin either. In other words, he is determined to do what is right, and if he falls, he'll get back up again. If he fails, he will repent. He is an overcomer. He doesn't love the world. He might fall. He might sin. But he'll get it right with God. Now, let me ask you, is there any evidence here that you have a real genuine desire for holiness? A real true desire to do the will of God for your life? Is there? You say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, then you, you ought to already know you've got a problem then. Because there ought to be some evidence. Now, it doesn't end there. I want you to notice in chapter number 3, verse 24, here's another sign of salvation. Chapter 3 and verse number 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Notice, and hereby we know that he abideth in us. That is, we know that Christ is living in us. How do we know, John? By the Spirit which he hath given us. You see, one of the signs of salvation is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, look look down in chapter number 4 and verse number 13. 
Hereby we know. We know that we dwell in Him and He in us. How do we know, John? Because He hath given us of His Spirit. Chapter 5, verse number 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Romans 8 and verse 16 tells us that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I have no idea why this is so confusing to so many people. I have no idea why so many people, so many preachers, so many theologians try to explain this away. But they do. You would be shocked at how many people actually believe what we're reading here this morning, and yet it comes straight out of the Bible. They claim that this, the witness of the Spirit, is not something that is inward and subjective. That is, it's not something that we feel and that we sense. And they go to great lengths to explain it away. And I don't understand that unless, could it be they don't have it? Think about that. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You see, this is not some self-generated assurance that we have. In other words, it's not like, you know, the football team before the big high school game, the guys get in there and bang their head against the locker and psych themselves up to be pumped up to go out there and to kill them in the second half. That's not what this is about. It's not like you trying to make yourself believe and have assurance it's having assurance, regardless of the circumstances, assurance because of the fact that the Holy Spirit is telling you and assuring you that you are a child of God. I mean, after all, are you telling me that the Spirit of God could be present within you and not make His presence known? I don't believe it. He makes His presence known, and what does He do? Well, the Lord said that He came to testify of Him. You see, the emphasis is not upon the Holy Spirit, but upon the Son of God. He comes to testify as uh, to Christ. And He assures us when we've received Christ as our Savior. That's why I said last week, you can burn my Bible, but you can't shake my, my assurance. Because my assurance, indeed, it's based on the Bible... But my assurance is based on the ministry of the Holy Spirit that assures me that what God has said is true and assures me that if I was to die, I'd go to heaven. And every time I say it, I know some people don't understand it. I repeated it to someone this week, and I'll say it again. If I die and go to hell, it'll be God's fault, not mine. You say, well, how can you dare say something like that? Well, because the Bible tells me exactly, precisely what I must do to be saved. And I did exactly that. I'm doing exactly that. My trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do any more. 
You see, it's not ever a matter of me trying to be a Christian. Salvation's not based on trying, but on trusting. Now, I'm almost through, but it's important that you listen to what I say next. All of these things that I've mentioned are signs of salvation, but they are not the source. By that, I mean that you can try to do all of those things. You can try to love God. You can try to be interested in others and to be a good neighbor. And you can even talk to your neighbors about Christ. You can try to do all of these things and to live a holy life and to follow the commandments. And you can try to do all of those things and die and go to hell. Because these are signs that you've been saved, not the source of your salvation. There's only one source of salvation, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not until you get to that place that you see yourself as a lost sinner, and that you come to Christ without any merit of your own, and you fully put your trust in His shed blood on the cross. It's not until you get to that place and you do that that you'll truly be born again. And until that happens, you're going to keep having doubts. You're going to keep wondering, well, am I really believing enough? Did I really mean it? Am I really sincere? And you'll live the rest of your life with those kind of doubts until you get to that place that your trust is in Christ. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. I had a woman come to me many years ago in a revival meeting and said, Brother Stone, I'd been there many times before and knew the woman. She said, I don't think I'm saved. What are you thinking? I said, I don't think you are either. I mean, if you don't think you're saved, I don't think you're saved. Why? Why would I think you're saved if you don't know you are? Aren't you glad that you can have a no-so salvation? No doubt about it. Have, Have you come to the source? Listen, when you come to the source, you'll have the signs. And without the signs... It's evidence that there's no salvation. You can do what you want this morning. You can go on pretending and trying to fool everybody else. But when you go home tonight and put your head on the pillow and try to go to sleep, you won't have any more assurance, any more peace than you did before. And that will never come until you get to the place, I admit that I'm lost. I deserve to go to hell. But God loved me so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And He died on the cross, shed His blood for my sins. And because of that, if I'll come to Him in childlike faith, I can be a child of God. That's what Lisa did last week. That's what Mike did last week. That might be what you need to do this morning. While we stand together, those awaiting baptism, if you would just go right on to the dressing room, those others that maybe are in need of salvation, I don't know, Brother Kenneth and I are here. We encourage you to come and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior today.
while you yet have an opportunity to do so. Father, we pray this morning that you'll use your word to accomplish your will. And we know that you're not willing for any to perish, but that all come to repentance. And dear Lord, I pray today that not one single person would leave this building in an unsaved condition. Lord, I just pray today that you'll give victory, that you'll rebuke Satan, remove every hindrance, and speak to hearts and save souls. In Jesus' dear name we pray, amen. While we sing, you come. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Come on up here. Come on up here. I'm going on up there. You go ahead and... And uh, take the image. The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back though none go with me I still will follow though none go with me I still will follow though none go with me I still will follow no turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. It's really kind of hard to add anything to that. I don't really want to try to do that. But I will say this. I don't think you can be made to doubt your salvation if you know you're saved. You can't be sure what you have if, if someone could do that to you. So if you're troubled this morning, we're going we're gonna to sing one more stanza. And, and you can get rid of that trouble and settle it with the Lord today. You, you do that today. I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow
follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back.